Good morning, everybody. It's my pleasure to welcome you this morning in the name of the Lord. I hope and I pray that, that you are here uh, today with an, uh, an anticipation in your heart, enthusiastic to hear what the Lord has to say, encouraging one another and, and, uh, and just meeting with the Lord. It's, uh, it's His day. He's told us to rejoice and to be glad in it, and I'm going to before I do the announcements, I'm going to just pray because even the announcements are, are sanctified this morning. So will you join me in, in prayer, please? Father, we, we gather in this place today in this uh, middle school gymnasium. Father, it's not about the location. It's about your people gathering together. And, uh, and so we gather together uh, not by tradition this morning or not by uh, habit, where we gather together as, as your people, as your flock, as ones who... Have met you and and, uh, and continue to walk with you and desire to walk with you more day by day. We're here, God, um, inviting you from the the bottom of our hearts, God, to to be the middle and the center and the foundation of all that we say and do today. Lord, I ask you uh, to to speak by your Holy Spirit, Father, by the Spirit of Truth. Will you deliver to us this day your truth uh, through my unworthy lips, uh, God? Um, we commit these things and we commit this day into your very capable hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, I'm not Steve Fedden. You knew that already, I hope, if, unless you're visiting for the first time. Steve has been invited to, uh, to speak in Farmville, Calvary Chapel Farmville this morning. So that's where he is. And, and uh, we, we pray for him that, uh, that the Lord's working in him and speaking to that, uh, to that segment of the flock of God in Farmville. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, please raise your hand. There's no embarrassment to that. Some of us uh, rushed out without them. Some of us have lost them. We have plenty of Bibles. Some guys in the back, if you raise your hand high and keep them up, we'll get Bibles in your hand. Uh, we're, we're certainly uh, going to base all that we say today on the Word of God, not on the Word of Todd. So, um, Bibles, I think that's it. So, let's, uh, let's open up the Bible today. We're going to be in, in uh, the Gospel of John, continuing in John uh, we got through last week, got through is not the right phrase, but we, we ended last week at the end of John chapter 9. So we're going to pick up today in John chapter 10, but uh, as, we'll, as we know, the chapters and the verses, the chapter numbers and the verses uh, weren't, weren't actually part of the original uh, text of the scriptures. Uh, it was added later, uh, those, those delineations. And so what, we, what we're going to find today is that even though uh, we got to the end of chapter 9, uh, the, the repercussions of, of the things that we heard and read about in chapter 9 continue uh, into chapter 10, and, and we're going to be reading the first uh, 21 verses of John chapter 10. So I'm going to invite you to join with me as we do read that, and then we're going to go back and sort of sum up a little bit of what, we, what we've been talking about in John chapter 9. So John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James uh, Version, it says this, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings him out, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. 
Yet they, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of the Lord. So we see that these first 21 verses of chapter 10 are really sort of the capitulation of, uh, of what we read about in John chapter 9 with the healing of, of, uh, of this blind man. And I wanted to remind us of just a few things. Again, one of the great things about Calvary Chapel and the way that, that, uh, that we teach the Word of God is, is that it's expository. It's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. If uh, most of us have been here for months now, we've been in the Gospel of John. We're going to continue through the Gospel of John in, in, in its entirety. But we want to always uh, have not just to look forward each week, but maybe a remembrance of things past that we've read. So I wanted to just point out a, a few things to us about uh, really what serves as a catapult in John chapter 9 to get us to where we are in John chapter 10. First, uh, we know that there's a man that Jesus has healed of his blindness, a man that was uh, born blind. And, and, um, and it's interesting in John, John 9, 3, we read these words. Jesus answered and says, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So th- there's a purpose for this man's blindness, and that purpose, the overarching purpose, is that the works of God might be revealed in him. Interesting that Jesus didn't say the works of me might be revealed in him. Interesting that he didn't say the power of God may be revealed in him. Uh, he, he says that he che- chooses the word works of God might be revealed in him. In him. I think for a really good purpose. Um, Jesus healing a blind man isn't necessarily a unique event in the Scripture. This particular healing is not necessarily unique, although the the man who's healed says it's never been done before, someone who's born blind. So it may be unique in that the man was born blind, but 
the Scriptures have a number of other references to blind people that Jesus healed. And I'll just highlight those for your own study. Uh, we're not going to go and read these because we don't have time to do that. But he heals in Matthew 9, 27 through 31. He heals a couple of blind men in Capernaum. In, uh, in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43, uh, he, heals, he heals the blind man as he's approaching Jericho. Uh, he heals Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, we read about Jesus healing a couple of blind men there. And he heals the blind man at uh, Bethsaida in Mark 8.22. So, Jesus has healed blind men before. But I think there is something special about this particular account of this particular healing. And, what, what, and, I, and I just want us to think about for a second, so we don't lose it as we go forward. What is, what is the, the purpose? What are the works of God that Jesus was hoping to have seen through this healing? I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, here's a God, and these, these uh, people, if they're familiar, and certainly the Pharisees and the religious group that are, are, that are part of this discussion and part of these witnesses of these things, they're familiar with the Old Covenant. They know that, they, that, that the God of the Old Covenant is a God of power. They know that, that He's done amazingly huge miracles, not just the, the creation of the world, but things like parting the Red Sea or bringing the biblical flood during Noah's time, or, or, or the, the flames that came down on Mount Carmel uh, by the hand of Elijah. Huge, powerful miracles. Just a few chapters before, we, we read of this, this um, feeding of thousands uh, by a couple of morsels. So, so, what is it? What are the works of God that Jesus was hoping to have us see and have these people see through the healing of this person. I, I think, my personal opinion is that this blind man is representative of all of us. And I think it speaks of, of the salvation of the Lord that, that so many of us have, have experienced. Number one, he's, he's blind from birth. And I think we would agree, those of us in here who have met the Lord Jesus, that we were born blind. We're born, the Scripture talks of us as being poor and naked and miserable and wretched and blind. And that's a, that is a difficult thing uh, for some of us to come to terms with, the fact that we truly are blind. Despite uh, our PhDs or our good jobs or our positions in life, spiritually speaking, we're born blind. And this man was born blind. And so uh, we share that with him. We also, uh, we also um, read that he, he wasn't particularly looking for God. God, you know, Jesus uh, came to him and, uh, and, and out of grace and mercy and benevolence touched him and healed him. And the same as, as my testimony and many of our testimonies in this room. Uh, he's cast out by the rulers of the synagogue. And I think that's a picture for us to just meditate on, that he was cast out by the religious system. And, uh, and, and we know that having a relationship with Jesus Christ and being a Christian is not a religion. Uh, it's not a religion. It is a relationship. And it's a living relationship. And it's not a system of rules and regulations. So many times that the, the references to, to those sorts of systems drive people away rather than, than draw people toward the Lord. So this man is cast out of the, of the synagogue, I think, that's probably the best thing that ever happened to him. Um, 
Religious people, I think, sometimes have a really hard time accepting the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, and walking in the grace that he offers us. Uh, so Jesus hears about him being cast out of the synagogue uh, somewhere where he'd probably not been very often as a blind man to begin with. And he goes looking for this man in verse 935. Jesus goes looking for this, this poor blind guy. It says in 935 that Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, which implies he was looking for him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Such a simple question. And the man says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Now, just think about this for just a second. Here's a man who, who was clueless about who Jesus was. And yet, he'd been blessed by them. And I think, as we look at our own lives, I think there are a lot of parallels. Certainly, in my life, we live in a world that is largely clueless. We walk around not really recognizing all of the blessings that we have through God. That it's him who, who brings these blessings to us. And so many don't even recognize him and don't acknowledge him. And this is the case with the blind man. He's been blessed by God. You might be able to say, well, he's a blind beggar before he met Jesus. But even after he got his sight back, he didn't really know who Jesus was. And Jesus is sitting there right in front of him. And it is such a beautiful picture. That Jesus is sitting right in front of this man. He he has blessed him. He has healed him. And I imagine him sitting just face to face. And Jesus having this, this dialogue with him. Ask him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and says, who is he, Lord, that I, that I may believe in him? He's poised to believe. He wants to believe. He's open to the truth of who the Lord is. And Jesus said to him, and I can only imagine, I don't know about you, but I, when I read the Scriptures, I try to put myself in that picture, in that, in that spot. It's not like we're reading a geometry textbook. We're reading the living Word of God and it's true and it's, and it's living and it's active. So I try to imagine what would it be, have been like for this man who is seeing for the first time to be standing there in front of Jesus, the Savior of humankind, with his new vision, having this dialogue one-on-one with Jesus Christ, where Jesus asks him, do you want to believe? And he said, I, I do. And Jesus says to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And I, I see that as certainly a true story, an actual factual story, but I also see it as a picture, a type, that speaks to us of the salvation that each of us, I pray, has experienced. Where we have an encounter, an intimate, beautiful, personal encounter with the Lord Jesus, where he holds our hands and he looks us in the eyes that are opening for the first time and he says, I am he, I am the Son of God. It is me who is speaking to you right now. And the man's response in verse 38 is, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And that's our response as well. There's tenderness in this story. There's, there's just a... I, don't, I, hope you, I hope you can see it because I see it so clearly. So God seeks us as a blind people. He comes to us when we're not looking for Him. He blesses us though we don't recognize His blessings. And He works in our lives to demonstrate the power of his power. Not just power to split mountains and to separate seas and to, and to bring storms, but his power to change a human life and a human heart, to capture somebody's attention by love and by grace and by mercy, not by a religious system. He pursues us personally and he steps into our vision and he shows each of us who he is. And our response to that should be to worship him with our lives. 
Not just in the moment, not just on a Sunday morning, but with our lives. And, and so I wanted to just kind of talk about that just for a moment to sort of set the stage for, for chapter 10, where, where Jesus goes on uh, and continues with this dialogue. And at the end of chapter 9, we read that there is a mixed, there's a mixed group around Jesus at the time. It's not just the man who's blind, but there's a group of Pharisees with him, with this group. And Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And I can just hear the cynicism with which they may have asked that question. But I, I want to just give us, uh, give us a, um, a caution. It's easy for me to look at the Pharisees and go, ha. How could they have not got it? I mean, these people are just so hard-headed. They just don't get it. They don't understand, despite the, the fact that they have the Son of God performing these miracles, speaking grace and truth to them, right in front of them. They're just not getting it. They're so hung up on their, in their cells, their own agendas and their own systems. And, 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 but I, the Lord just always takes me back and says, that's you, Todd. You're a Pharisee. You're just like him. There's no, don't, don't, you know, our, our battles, brothers and sisters, are not against flesh and blood. Yes, there are scoffers here in this story, and there are scoffers. There have always been scoffers since the, since the very beginning. The scoffers uh, that go all the way back to Cain, who, you know, we know, we know his story, and, and, uh, and Pharaoh, who, despite these crushing blows to his nation and his, and his, uh, his leadership, uh, was a skeptic, and, and Goliath, and Jezebel, and, and the list goes on, Nebuchadnezzar, and Ananias, and Sapphira, and the scriptures are full of people that for whatever reason in God's providence, they, they came, they had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they walked away unchanged. And I don't understand why that is or how that is, but I, do, I will point out that this blind man indicated a readiness to believe. He was poised to believe, and I know that there are some perhaps in this room that are at the same spot. There you are, poised to believe. You're not quite there yet. Maybe you've been kicking the can for a little while and just wondering about it. But I'm, I'm here by God's grace, again, unworthy to remind us all that the Lord is here with us and, and He wants us uh, to take that next step if we haven't taken that next step. So if you're poised to believe, read on with me. Um, don't be sidetracked by the scoffers. Um, this narcissism is... Um, it's in me as, as, as well as you. So Jesus says in verse 10, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, uh, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So notice a couple of things here that Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he, he is such a good teacher. I, I remember I spent some years... Um, teaching high school chemistry. Now, raise your hand if you have fond memories of your days in high school chemistry. Raise them high. See, I see both of you. Okay. So, it's just one of those things, right? I mean, you just have to get through it. And I, and I, and I remember as a teacher, so often sort of just talking to these young men at, at Fort Union Military Academy and saying, you guys get it? You guys get it? And most of them were just kind of drooling and saying, can we just get this over with? But every now and then, there was something that was really, really important that I had to get across to him. And so I'd circle it on the board, or I'd underline it, I'd put it in big, bold letters, and I'd point arrows to it, say, this is important, guys, write this down. And this is what the Lord is saying here as he goes into this dialogue with this mixed group of not just the man who's healed, but this group of skeptics and scoffers. He's saying, 
listen up. This is important. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're transitioning here a little bit. I'm going to describe to you who I am. And, and he uses a, a, a picture, a word picture, that has to do with shepherds and sheep. And we're going to see this. We're going to go into this in some detail. But this, this would have been something that was, uh, that was very common um, experience for these people of this, of this day and age. Probably in this room at this very moment, not many of us are shepherds. Um, I, re- I remember how funny I thought it was. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fletch with Chevy Chase, but there's a, he's, got, he gets, uh, he's getting arrested and the police officer says, well, what, what's your occupation? And he goes, I'm a shepherd, and, I, and he's in a suit and tie. And I thought, isn't that just so funny? We don't think of ourselves that we don't have many shepherds walking around our community today. But these men at, these, at this time certainly uh, knew all about uh, shepherds, and they were very familiar with this picture that, that Jesus was about to paint here. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you. This is an exclusive statement. He identifies himself here going through these chapters. But he draws this distinction. He says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. I think as he describes these thieves and robbers, I think what he's describing is the religious order of the day. Those who would exclaim and and claim to have some authority, some leadership over this flock, and yet they were far from God. They had Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, in front of them, and they didn't recognize him. To the contrary, they thought he had a demon. And Jesus here is is drawing this distinction between those uh, who are legitimate God-appointed shepherds and those who enter in by some other way, grasping and claiming to be something that that they're not uh, when authority hasn't been given to them by God. And there's this sheepfold. Now, sheepfold, if those of you, maybe some of us have seen these things, but they're still used today, but typically they were rock enclosures, stone enclosures, uh, where, where shepherds would bring their sheep at the end of the day, out from pasture, they would drive them into these sheepfolds, uh, which were just rocky, fenced-in areas, and they, they had one gate. But they would bring the sheep into these sheepfolds to be safe at night, after the day in the pasture. And sometimes, if the sheepfold was large enough, there'd be multiple flocks in the same sheepfold. And in the morning, the shepherd, whatever shepherds were there and had flocks in that sheepfold, would go and they would bring their sheep out of that sheepfold. And this is the picture that Jesus is speaking of. Uh, I think the sheepfold speaks to us of of community, the body of Christ, uh, the kingdom of heaven, a place of safety, a place of security, a safe, a safe place. Not, not a place of striving, a place of rest. So Jesus starts talking about the sheepfold. And he says, if, if, uh, if one tries to enter the sheepfold by some other way other than the door, he's a thief and a robber. And I, I don't know about you, I've known a lot of people, still know a lot of people that are trying to get into heaven by works. I don't want to come through the door. The door requires us, Jesus being the door, the door requires us to do business on the same terms as the door. He requires us to confess and and, and admit our blindness and our inability to enter in. We can't get to heaven 
by some religious system. If you compile all the religious systems in the world, they have something in common. And I think really what's, what's, what's in common, regardless of what they are, Hindu, name them, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, uh, Islam, Jainism, Shintoism, whatever. They have one thing in common, and that is that it's, it's human beings trying to get to heaven through following some sort of system that they believe is going to lead to God. And so, if we're trying to get to heaven through some system, maybe, uh, maybe it's by our good works. Maybe it's by being religious, being very faithful, dedicated. I know, I know folks that uh, are so dedicated, and they go to church daily in some areas. Very religious. Maybe it's by pedigree. Maybe there are some who say, you know, uh, as, as these Pharisees may very well have said, some of them, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in because I was raised in a Christian home. I was born, my parents were Christians, I was baptized as a little kid. And maybe we, we think somehow that we're going to be okay, we're going to get into this eventually into this sheepfold by virtue of the fact that we have a particular pedigree. But that's not the case. We all have to do business at the door. Just like this blind man had to do business at the door. So we don't get into the sheepfold by climbing in as sheep, uh, by, by going around the door, and certainly as, as, uh, as those who would lead or those who would, would uh, claim some sort of authority uh, or leadership or, or teaching capacity over the sheep, uh, there again, you don't get in, uh, in any other way other than the door. Now, throughout the Scriptures, uh, there are tons of references to, to this coming Messiah as a shepherd. And there are tons of references to God as a shepherd. I'm just going to highlight a few of them. Okay, Because this term of shepherd, this, this, this word picture of, of, uh, of, a, of a pastoral sense is, is familiar to these folks. Ezekiel 34.11, if you're taking notes, you can write these down and go look at them uh, later. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. This is in Ezekiel 34, 11. Uh, In Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, listen to this. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out pass through the gate and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Very similar picture to what Jesus is saying here. Isaiah 56.11 speaks poorly of false shepherds, as Jesus is here, describing them as thieves and robbers. Uh, so not just, not just prophets but, and prophecies about God and this Messiah being, being like a shepherd, but lots and lots of Old Testament characters. Individuals uh, were shepherds. And I offer to you Abel in Genesis chapter 4, who is described as a keeper of flocks. Abraham in Genesis 21, who is described as a chieftain with many herds of sheep. Jacob in Genesis chapter 30, who was a shepherd for Laban. Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, who was a shepherd of his own father's flocks. Moses in Exodus 3, who went from being the prince of Egypt to a shepherd in Midian. And then Joshua, Numbers 27, it says, Let the Lord set a man over the congregation 
That man is Joshua. David in 1 Samuel 16.11, we remember, he was, he was shepherding the sheep when Samuel came to anoint him king. They had to go get him out of the field. Amos, in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, he describes himself as a shepherd and a prophet. And he was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Psalm 23 we're all familiar with. Even today there are references uh, in, in the New Testament. In, in, in 1 Peter 5.2, Peter's telling us to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And, when the, and, when the, and he refers to Christ as the, as the chief shepherd. So Jesus is, is speaking here in, in words and phrases and, and word pictures that would be very, very um, easily understood and recalled by these. But, but he says in verse, uh, in verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, verse 3, to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You know, there are a couple of types of people on the earth today, those who can hear the word of God and those who can't. And I just think it's, it's uh, again, it's an intimate and beautiful picture that Jesus is painting here where he describes himself here eventually as this shepherd and those of us who can hear his voice as ones who just rise up at his word. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows us personally. We're not just a flock uh, as, a, as, a, as a group entity. He knows us personally. He knows us by name. The scripture tells us that he has each of our heads. He's counted every hair on our heads. It's unbelievable to me. And so this shepherd that Jesus is describing speaks to his sheep verbally. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Notice that he leads them out. He doesn't drive them out. I think this, uh, even though Psalm 23 does talk about thy rod and thy staff, they, they comfort me. Um, that's part of his shepherding. But, but here he's, he's describing a shepherd who leads his people out. And that speaks to me of, of, um, of a people that willingly follow. That it's not, uh, it's not work and drudgery or obligation, I'm going, I'm doing these things out of work or some sort of sense of obligation and, and which can lead to all sorts of problems in our heart and our intentions and the thoughts of our mind. We serve the Lord as his people because we love him and we want to follow him. Right? You know, I... I what can we add to this? I mean, is there anything we can, we can add to this picture of just being sheep that have, have received great mercy from God, that hear His voice? There's, there's nothing that I can add to this. There's no addendum that, that we can add to what Jesus has done for us. There's no complicating the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's our shepherd. He speaks to us. He calls us by name when we're poised to believe. He introduces Himself to us. And we, we enter into this relationship. And it's a, simple, it's, a, it's a simple relationship at its essence. I don't mean to minimize theology or doctrine or the deeper things of, of Jesus, but I think in its essence the gospel is pretty, pretty, pretty uh, um, simplistic. It's easy enough for a child to understand these things. Paul says in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, our house group is studying 1 Corinthians. We just looked at this this past week. I, Paul says, I preach, we preach Christ crucified. Very simple 
Very simple set of truths. So to him, verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So there's not this wrangling, there's not this wrestling that happens. Verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You know, we, we, uh, maybe, they, maybe they, they played it at the men's retreat, this game at, at YDI last year that, that uh, was at the same time fun, but also uh, really scary to me. And it's a, and, and it's a game where, where um, everyone is blindfolded. Okay, you remember this game. Everyone is blindfolded, and there's somebody that is designated as the shepherd. And this shepherd has to, uh, has to clap. They can't say any words, but they have to clap in a certain way. And the idea is the shepherd leads, and the blindfolded sheep follow. And we're walking around on the front lawn of YDI playing this game. But the sinister part of the game is that as we're walking around, stumbling around, looking for... Okay, following, hearing for this, this clapping, there's, there's, a, there's an alternative person that's also asked to step in and start clapping. And the idea is to see if this, if this other shepherd, this non-shepherd, can lead the blindfolded folks in a different direction. And so, our, our Alex Faria did a great job last year. I ever... You know, he's not a false shepherd, but he, he did a great job. And he was very creative. And I remember watching this because the guys are walking around trying to follow the real shepherd. And Alex Freya was tasked with being the, the, the anti-shepherd. And he was working hard to get the sheep away from the real shepherd. And I think that's also a picture. We have an enemy. It's not flesh and blood, but we certainly have an enemy. The enemy of God is also our, the enemy of our souls. And his job, his desire is to get us to follow anybody but the real shepherd, the good shepherd. So God's people know his voice. They don't follow a system. They don't follow tradition. It's, it's, it's based on this intimate knowledge, this relationship, and us hearing his voice. And, and, and so, you know, I'm reminded in John, uh, later in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about sending us a helper when he's talking about leaving. And he says, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth whom the world does not receive or know him, but you know him, he says to his disciples. He, you know him, and it's not that we know him, he's walking in front of us. He says, he goes on in John 14, 16 through 18, he says, he dwells in you. He will dwell in you. And, 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 and then he goes on and says, I will come to you. So Jesus, later on in this, in this gospel, tells his disciples, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a time in the flesh, and I'm going forth to the Father. I'm going to lead the way. Hebrews talks to him as a great high priest that has gone forth. right? But he, he didn't leave us here, saints, as orphans. Right? We're not orphans. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have Jesus Christ living inside of you. The Spirit of truth dwelling in you, not left as orphans. That's an amazing truth. Sometimes we get bogged down in, in understanding that, and, and, and it's, we, you know, we live in a world that has a lot of white noise in it, and it's sometimes difficult to tune our ears a little bit, 
to see what the Lord is, is talking to us about and speaking, us, speaking to us about. And it's, it was confusing, it's sometimes confusing for us today. It was confusing for them as well. Verse 6 says that Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what he was talking about. So he tries again, verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. God bless you. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. What a wonderful statement. Religious systems, rules and regulations rob us of life. They rob us of life. And the spirit behind them has a desire to rob us of life. Jesus didn't come, he says, to rob us of life. He came to give us life, that we may have it more abundantly. And I believe that, that part of that is, is that as believers today, we have Jesus Christ living in us. Talk about an abundant life. How could we have it any more abundantly? Jesus Christ living in us. He didn't come to give us religion. He came to give us his very own life and, and to not just make us better people. It's funny to me that to, to think about how so many, myself included at times, I can lose track of the fact that Jesus didn't come to somehow, you know, give me some sort of strength on my own power to just be a better person. He came to exchange his life for my life. And it's his life now in me that lives through me. And I don't understand it all. And, and you know, Paul talks about it's, it's no longer I who do these things in Romans 7, but sin living in me, right? And in, in Genesis, even in Cain, when he's talking to Cain, the Lord says, Cain... Sin is crouching outside your door. He personifies it and its desire is to have you. And, but we have, this, we have this reality now as Christians that, that we have the Lord Jesus Christ living in us. It's his life, not my life anymore. I've been crucified. I'm out of the picture. The old is gone. The new has come. And so even though my flesh and my blood are wearing out and rolling, rolling downhill fast, um, day by day I'm renewed by the fact that the Lord Jesus lives in me. And there's coming a day when, when uh, uh, we're really going to follow the Good Shepherd to true pasture, to eternal pasture. So Christ came not to give us religion, but to give us abundant life. He's a Good Shepherd. Verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives His life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, verse 12, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. You know, in, in, in chemistry and in physics, there's this, there's this uh, term called entropy. And it, what it means is it speaks of, of, uh, of the randomness, the, the random nature of energy in the universe. And the, the trend, without getting into any detail, is, is that things tend to go from a, a more ordered state to a less ordered state, Right? The, the, the randomness of the universe, physically speaking, tends to increase. And yet here we have this great picture of God, uh, Jesus Christ, describing himself as the good shepherd who keeps all things together, keeps this flock together. And he contrasts that with the hireling, somebody who's just a, a, a wage earner, somebody who's not necessarily invested. 
you know, there's some translations of this word shepherd that translate to pastor. And we've all probably had experience with uh, perhaps or heard of or seen maybe on TV uh, pastors who seem to, to take the name but uh, who operate more as hirelings than as true shepherds. Jesus tells us here that he's not just the shepherd of the sheep, but he owns the sheep. He's not a hireling. And that he owns the sheep and he loves the sheep so much that he's going to lay down his life for the sheep, which ultimately he does. It doesn't get much better than that as a shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. The hireling flees. The hireling doesn't care about the sheep. Verse 14, he says again, I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father, verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. You know, it's interesting to think that uh, they didn't kill Jesus. He went to the cross voluntarily. He laid down his life voluntarily. And when the time came, he bowed his head and he said, Lord, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit. It was a voluntary act. He cried out with a strong voice just before that. So let's remember that Jesus, when he did give his life for his sheep, did it of his own free will and of his own accord. But he speaks here. I want to just draw your attention to uh, a little verse here. He says, um, And other sheep, verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There, there are groups out there, religious groups out there, that have co-opted that verse and, and used it uh, for, uh, I think, a wicked agenda, uh, and not a Christian agenda, and, and have taught that verse means uh, something, I believe, other than it, what it really means. I think what the Lord's speaking to us about in verse 16 is, is, uh, is the nations coming to belief, the Gentiles, those who were not raised up in the Jewish religious system. And, and, and later in John chapter 17, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, pre- he's, he's, he's praying his prayer to the Father, he says in 1720, he says, I do not pray for these alone, Speaking of his disciples, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one. They all may be one. Colossians 3.10 talks about having put on a new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Um. So, Jesus is talking about, I believe, a summing up of, of the peoples that are going to believe on, on his name. The same, he says to Abram early on, your descendants will be like the sand of a seashore, unable to be counted, like the stars in the heavens, unable to be counted. We're part of that. Each of us is part of that. If you love the Lord Jesus, you're part of that. If you're his. He's about five months 
At the time this was written, Jesus is about five months from being crucified. Um, so he's, he's kind of setting the stage here. Therefore it says, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we kind of end these verses with these two groups of people. People that are skeptical, people that are scoffers, people that are, are um, unable or unwilling to learn and to look and to see and to, and to reflect on, on the truths that are before them, and others that are poised to believe, others that are, uh, that are mindful of these things and that take them, uh, take them to the foot of the cross. So what do, we make, what do we make of these verses if we take them in totality? We serve a good shepherd, a shepherd that lays down his life and has laid down his life for each of us. We are the sheep of his pasture. The scripture describes us as such. And we hear his voice, and we hear his voice not just by reading his word, but by, by communing with the Holy Spirit within us. And by part, part of our communing is this sort of meeting right here where hopefully we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and we encourage one another. And I know, I know and I know that there are a lot of us in this room right now that are just, that are just hurting. They're in raw, difficult circumstances. They're grieving loss. They're, they're, they're hanging on by a thread. They want to throw in the towel. And part of us being together like this as the, as the flock of God is to love one another and to encourage one another and to invest in one another's lives all under this, the, the headship of this good shepherd who speaks to us and leads us with gentleness, who holds us and, and looks us in the eye like he did with this blind man and says, I'm the son of God. Believe you. I'm the one that's talking to you. And I hope and I pray that as we are, each of us, growing in the Lord in our own way, that we'll, we'll just more and more dedicate time to spend with him and hear him and seek his face and, 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 and most importantly, follow him. He doesn't always lead to easy places in the flesh. Remember, he told Peter uh, uh, after his resurrection, he, he told Peter that uh, you're, when you're old, you're going to go somewhere you don't want to go. Remember that? And Peter said, well, uh, Lord, what about him? And, and Jesus said, don't worry about him. You, you follow me. And so I think that's what God wants us to come away with, this, with today in a nutshell. Follow him. To follow him, you have to know him. To know him, you have to meet him. And if you haven't met him, if you don't know who he is, I'm going to ask Nick and, and the worship team to come, come on up. If you don't know who he is today, maybe you're one who is poised to believe. And maybe what the Lord wants, wants us to hear more than anything today is that he is, he is still a good shepherd. He's the best shepherd. He's the greatest shepherd. He's our protector. He's our keeper. He's our leader. He brings us in and out. To find pasture, he has a tremendous sheepfold for us, a place of rest and nourishment. And he is worthy for us to follow. And I pray that if there are any like this blind man who, who exclaimed, I, I want to believe, but I just don't know who he is. He wants to introduce himself to you today. So I will invite you to come down to the front of, the, of this auditorium today. Uh, and talk about it, and pray about it.
Today is the day of salvation. And, and, uh, and when Steve, if Steve starts up next week in chapter uh, 10, verse 22, there's, a, there's about a three-month gap between verse 21 and verse 22. You can see that by the various feasts that, that are, are mentioned in here. So this more or less brings to a conclusion the story of the blind man who Jesus healed and the repercussions of that healing. Remember, he said, this man was blind so that the, the works of God might be demonstrated. And those works of God are still being demonstrated today. They might be demonstrated in your own life in this place. So, uh, let's follow the Good Shepherd. Let me pray and then, uh, and then Nick will close us out. Father, you are the Good Shepherd and we just um, we declare with you, we agree with you that uh, we, are, we are distractible sheep. I am a distractible sheep, God. I look for pasture where you haven't led me. And I find thorns. I look for fellowship in places where you, don't, you haven't led me and, and I find dryness. I look for, for drink and nourishment and food and safety in my own works of my hands. Lord, may each of us in this room just be sheep that simply follow you. Lord, that respond not just to your leading and to your voice, but also to your rod and your staff that comfort us, Lord, because you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So, Good Shepherd, comfort us in this place. Lead us forth from this time to do your will in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.